Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Special episode for you as we get into the 4th of July week. I talked to Enos Watley, who was the starting point guard on Michael Jordan's rookie year team in 1984, about a month back now, and going to post it today. Enos is 32 years sober, but he was also in the room doing drugs when Michael was a rookie, which was talked about in The Last Dance. Mo Watley, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I just listened back to the whole thing, and so much stuff in here, from growing up during the Civil Rights Movement to playing with Michael to playing with Minute Bowl. He's got a sweet Larry Bird story. He played in Israel. Matzo Ball Soup makes an appearance on this episode. And just one of the good-hearted people that I've come across here. I, I really, really appreciated the conversation with Enos. Hope you're staying safe out there. Thank you so much for putting on the Windy City Podcast. Let's get right to it as we go to the public address announcer, Tommy Edwards. That's Chicago Bulls, coached by Kevin Lockery in his second year at the helm of the Bulls, a graduate of St. John's University. 11 seasons in the NBA, 150 games with the Chicago Bulls to start it off. And he's been around with Mo Malone in Washington and Dominique Wilkins in Atlanta and the great Portland team, which played the Bulls in the finals in 1992. Enos Watley. Uh, great to talk to you. Enos, let, let's start with uh, the craziness of today and the tragedy of George Floyd and the protests that are going on. Uh, I'm just curious your reaction to everything. It's really just a divided and, and, and sad time for this country. Well, you know, I just think that all over, you know, uh, regardless of, you know, like what color you are, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's serious times, you know, when it, when it, when it comes down to, you know, someone like, you know, and, and I guess the way it went down and everything, uh, you know, it, it, it's just it's just unprecedented time. You know, it's, it, it really is. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's some really, really sad situation, you know. You grew up in, in, in the South, and I mean, I, I don't know exactly yeah. what you experienced as, as a young guy go, growing up, but, you know, you born in Alabama in the 60s. Uh, what was it yeah. like for you? Well, I, I tell you, it's amazing that you would say that. Um, 
I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, which is uh, downtown. Uh, I live in Fountain Heights. And where the bombing took place, where the four girls was bombed uh, in, in the church, actually my, my principal at my elementary school was Mr. Robinson. And one of the girls was, was one of the uh, young ladies that, that died, you know, in, in the bombing and everything. But, you know, it was it was, it was, it was serious time. Uh, I was born in the 60s, and, and, you know, in Birmingham, Alabama, of course, you know, the history, you know, down in, in Alabama, you know, it was, it was a lot different. So you kind of like, you know, you stayed on your side, you know, and, and they kind of like stayed on, on their side. But, you know, for the bombing to take place, you know, at the 16th Street Baptist Church, you know, I, I was so young at the time, I really didn't, you know, didn't, understand what was going on and even by what happened you know just recently you know it's kind of just kind of putting things in in, in perspective of, of of like this 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 how you know just organized we are and just as a people and just the things that are going on you know so how old were you we're talking about the 16th street baptist church bombing i mean martin luther yes. king he called it quote one of the most vicious and tragic crimes ever perpetuated against humanity 15 sticks of dynamite attached to a timing device on the east side of a church for children i mean yes. you were how old yes. this is 1963 was, so you were just you were really just born I, I was just born but i tell you what the elementary school that i went to uh our principal like uh a certain time every year would come and he would have tears in his eyes so we, we were so young we didn't kind of like understand and we was his name was mr robinson his daughter is you know one young girls that you know that uh was blown up in the, in the bomb and we was like, why is Mr. Robinson crying? And we were so young, we didn't know. But, you know, we later on found out that, you know, his daughter had died in, in, in the bomb. And it was just, it was just crazy. You know, you, you just, you know, couldn't, couldn't, didn't understand, like, like why and, and what, you know, what is going on. Just like, you know, as we speak now, you know, like, like the why, you know, what is really going on. Carol Robertson, she was 14 years old. There was Addie yes. Mae Collins, 14, Cynthia Wesley, 14, and Dis- Denise McNair, 11. I, I mean, you and you went to college at Bama. I mean, d- yes. d- different, but, uh, you know, it's it's still a, while, a ways back here now, early, you know, late 70s, early 80s. I'm assuming that it couldn't have been, I mean, you're a special guy on campus, you're on the basketball team, but also, like, there. It, I, I don't know, how. what did it feel like to you? Well, you know, to me, it, you know, like I said, uh, you didn't really understand you know, like why and, and, and what was going on. But like at, at University of Alabama, you know, I like I still I didn't come through that part. You know, uh, the guys before me, like Wendell Hudson, uh, the first black to go to Alabama and, and different things like that. I, he just got his jersey uh, raised, you know, uh, at the University of Alabama. And, and he would tell some of the stories and everything. But when, when I was there, you know, it wasn't that bad. You kind of like just know. You know, you know certain things like like everyone knows certain things now, but you know, no one's really coming forth or, or no one's really doing anything about it. Did Did you go to segregated school growing up, Enos? No, I didn't. You know, I actually uh, went like instead in Birmingham, we had we had a north side of of, of, of town, which is Fountain Heights, where I grew up at, and like we considered down in, in the south where it's called over the mountain, where you know most of of the whites, or uh, wealthy whites, you know, stayed. And uh, I, I went to like see school like uh, Phillips High School in, in, in downtown Birmingham. It's more more on the black side of, of the town. Let's jump to the NBA, and you get drafted by the Kansas sure. City Kings, but but end up with the Chicago Bulls. And this is the year before Michael, so it's eighty three, eighty four, and yeah. you're playing with a lot of talented guys, but you're coming into a situation where I guess everything is not being 
done in the most professional manners. How would you describe it? Well, I, I wouldn't say uh, not so much in the professional manner, but I think that there was an environment, you know, that, that was, was a lot different from maybe, I'm not sure the other teams, you know, but, you know, with, with our environment, we was coming, when I was coming into it, as you know, I, I turned uh, professional as a sophomore, so I was only uh, 19, uh, I think 19 going on 20 uh, years old at the time. So, you know, when you come into a you know, like, uh, situation uh, uh, like that, you know, you, you're very young, you know. But I, I, I will say, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a definitely a changing experience, like hindsight. You know, if I had to do it all over again, I was like, wow, you know, you know, you always wonder if you could have gotten drafted by a, another team, but I mean, it, it is what it is. But it, it, it was definitely, um, it was, it was just tough being 19 years old in a big city like uh, Chicago, you know, and, and being a lottery pick. You know, it was just a tough situation. You know? Why? Why did you decide coming out after your sophomore year? Was that a money thing, or was it more of just a I'm good enough to play in the NBA? That's, that's a great question. Uh, I felt at the time, basketball wise, I was good enough, and part of my um, uh, necessary idols and heroes were uh, uh, Isaiah Thomas, which is you know from Chicago, and Magic Johnson, which they both left as sophomore. You know, I, I felt that uh, you know I was ready at the time, you know, to to call myself jumping to the next level. Uh, you know, at, at the time, so that's the reason why I left out. Plus, you know, I um, a lot of people don't know, but if you look up my my background, it's my, my my dad had twenty eight kids, <laughs> and see, my mom had. Uh, 11 kids uh, uh, by him. So, you know, I, I wanted to do something uh, for her. I, I really did. I wanted to do something. I wanted to uh, do nice things for her. She was in two jobs at the time. And, and I just wanted to, you know, just, just have, have some money where I could just make her happy while she was on this earth. Yeah. Did you – how poor are we growing up here? And it's like, how would you describe it? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I, I grew up uh, – I, I would say, you know, uh, from – a huge family in, in, in the South, you know, it's, um, we were poor. We didn't know it, but, you know, we, you know, your mom, you, you kind of like made the best of what you had, you know, you know, when, when, when you cook, you know, you had beans and cornbread and you just, you just, you just made it, you made it happen. But you know, I, I had a big family, you know, with, with my dad had 28 kids and, 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 and loving from my mom, you know, you just, you just learned to, to, to manage life and everything. Yeah. So what do we, t- breakfast was what? <laughs> a good blessing. My mom was pretty good at cooking. Now, my mother, Andy Morgan, which is uh, a beautiful lady, like in, in, in my life, she could she could make biscuits and, and grits and eggs. That would be something that that was huge down south. You know, one thing my mom could do, she she can cook. You know, and uh, you know, so she would wake up and fix a big breakfast and everything. But you know, that 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 what you're looking forward to, especially most most black families, you know, to wake up. You know, and, and and just you know have a big breakfast, you know, and put some food in your stomach. That that that'd be a great time right there. You know? And how many people at that table? <laughs> we didn't have too many tables. You know, you called a seat. <laughs> you called a seat where you could. You know, uh, basically, if if you could fit at a table, you know, you, you sit down. But some people stand up. Some people came in and and, and got their meal. That's the fun thing about I, I won't say you know in the ghetto and, and, and most big families. You know, you come in and. And get your food and, and you, you find your spot and you fit in where you can get in at. <laughs> yes. How many how many people were sleeping in your room, Enos? Oh my God. We uh, well at, at times at one time I I kid you not in in my household it was twenty it was twenty two people in, in, in one house uh, uh, over 
said, it was it was it was three beds, maybe two, you know, two of them. We had a three room uh, uh, home at the time and everything. And it's, hey man, you learn to come in and, and you learn to if, if the bed is open, you, you get it. If, if, if it was not open, then you got to step. Maybe lay out in the chair. We have the next play for it. And that's just normal, right? I mean, this is this is <laughs> this is you. You're not thinking about there's uh, oh boy, there's a there's a kid. I don't know, a couple of miles from here, he's got his own bed, he's got his own room. But you're, that's not even, like, a thought process. Well, back then, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm born in 62, so, you know, like I said, you didn't know at the time that that, that you really was, was poor, you know, because everyone from where I was from, you know, kind of like had big families, you know, six, seven, eight, ten people, you know, in, in, in the family. So you think it's normal uh, and everything, but, you know, that that's just the way it was back then. Yeah. So so you get in the league. Do you remember what you were making as a rookie? Not oh, oh, okay. Not a fan. Okay. But so, mm-hmm. but regardless, you, you run in, you know, you're, you're coming from where you're coming from and now you're, now you got this, this check coming to you. Did you, did you hire a financial guy to help you at that point? Or did you just sort of think, think like you'll figure it out as, as how, you know, as, as it went along? No, you know, you have an agent, you know, of course you have an agent because, uh, uh, Lance Luxnick, you know, was, was was my agent at the time. Uh, you know, uh, he he um, was was the agent I found with, you know, back when I turned pro. Mm-hmm. So how did you decide that you could trust him? Well, you just you know you just you just take a chance, you know, uh, <laughs> like most people do. You know, they take a chance on on someone. Uh, you know, um, you know, as they you know call and Lance was pretty. I thought Lance was a pretty good agent. He had a lot of other guys like Maurice Cheeks. Uh, uh, myself, I had, had a lot of guys at, at the time, but you know, when I when I decided to turn uh, pro, you know, um, he was the agent that I had, you know, and uh, you know, you just kind of just, you know, you sit down and talk with him and, and see whether or not you can go, like where where will you go at, you know, and and I end up going uh, number thirteen, and you know, I you know I, I end up signing with him, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you're 32 years sober now, Enos. Enos so I want to get that out here first, but like. Going back in time, did did uh, did you start using drugs in, in college or did or was it in the NBA? Well, I, I probably I probably at that time, you know, experimented, you know, like like you know, just stay through high school, you know, um, uh, when you have a, dr- a drug problem or a drug uh, addiction, a lot of people don't don't realize it, but you know, just walking home from football practice really was was the first time that that I experienced it. You know, we was uh coming up the alley down, you know, uh, from, I'm, I'm from Birmingham. So we're just walking up the alley and the guy just brought this marijuana out, you know, so, you know, and I tried it, you know, so that, that just started, a, you know, a, a long journey of, of, you know, drug use, you know. And then in college, did it escalate from there or did it more escalate in the NBA? Uh, well, I, I think that, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm 32 years. It's kind of like, you know, it's coming so quick. I'm trying to just give a, a decent answer, but, uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I use, you know, I, I, like I said, uh, if I can share my testimony, my my mom, my mom died in '87. My dad died two months after uh, she did. So uh, just just before that, you know, I I pretty much you know just 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 kind of like you know I had I had I used drugs and, and alcohol you know at, at, at different times when you know uh, you know just just being in. But but when that happened right there, that 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 really you know kind of like like helped me to 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 get my life in order and everything. But you know, it, it's, it's times like when, when, you know, when you was play, you know, when you, when you use drugs, you know, you use them, you know, I'm not, you know, sure exactly what time when you use them, you know? Right. Would you, would you do it normally before games, after games? How would that go in the league? 
I um I, I I just you know what I'm saying I just use drugs now. I would like to say that you know yeah. at, at this time. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I I remember um you know story from the Villanova Georgetown ridiculous incre- one of the greatest championship games in NBA his- in NCAA history. And uh, I think it was, you know, the guys were using before the game and somehow played, you know, Dwayne McClain played out of his mind. You know, he's, he didn't even know how he did it, but they, you know, but, but, but they ended up winning the championship game, beating, Pat, beating Patrick Ewing and, you know, one of the great all-time college teams. So I don't know. It, it seems crazy that it could help you play, but, but maybe that was the case for some. Yeah, for, for for some, you know, like like you said, uh, when I guess if you you know if you're using it at the time and you know you're playing, then that's that's probably tough. When you're addicted to it, I don't think you probably you know just select when you're gonna use it. You know, you're probably just addicted to it. Can't help yourself. That's what you know. A lot of times, yeah. Yeah. I, when you were explaining with your your mom and dad, I thought you were gonna say that that's when you kind of spiraled down, but it was actually more brought you. You got yourself clean at that point. I, I, can you? Was that more like to honor your parents, or what would you say? No, I, I, I really got, I got saved, man. I got, you know, I got born again, man. That's what happened. You know, I accepted Christ in my life. You know, my mom, I love very much. You know, like I said, it's, it's kind of like a long story. It's kind of, you know, hard to, to kind of come in and out and just, just speak about it because you kind of need a, you know, just, just the timing part of it. But, uh. My mom died of a major heart attack in 87, and my dad died two months after uh, she did, you know. And uh, that was, you know, it was very, it was a disruptive moment, you know, in, in, in my life, you know. And uh, I, I really, uh, when, when my mom passed, you know, she was like a very special lady to me. And everything I did was based around, you know, wanting to see my mom okay. And, and when that happened, you know, it just, it just changed my life. You know, I, uh, no matter what path I was on at that time, uh, I, I uh, never forget the, um, um, the, the the preacher when he preached at my mom's funeral. He said, "Enos, your mom loved you," and he said, "If you want to see her again, you better be born again." And 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 that's when I gave my life to the Lord, and uh, you know my my life uh, started uh, changing now. And that's that's kind of like, you know, what I go around and do is, is sharing my story, you know, which I don't mind about being transparent, you know, because of just you know just touching someone's life or, or how my life changed. I don't know what brought us together in this time here, Enos, because maybe it's the last dance and Michael, but just, you know, going back through your career, I've learned, number one, we share a birthday. I was born August 11th, 1973. Yeah. Are you serious? I'm I'm serious, okay? Wow. So so 11 years after you, I was born, right? And not not the same thing here, but just listening to your story. My mom passed away. I was a little, you know, a little younger than when, when you know, for me, than when from your mom. But my mom passed away in March of 1987. So I'm just kind of seeing these little odd connections here. You know, you know what I'm saying? Wow. Are you, are you serious? I am. March 27th, 1987. I'll obviously I'm never going to forget that date. Wow. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. That, that's that is amazing. That, I don't know if that's a coincidence or what, but that 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 just really uh. You know, uh, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> you born, you born seven. That's amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Listen, it was a, it was a Friday. Well, it was a Friday morning that she passed, and um, you know, my, my, you know, I, 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 I was raised on the sort of the privileged side of the street, at least a little bit, and um, we had that season, eighty six, eighty seven, the Bulls. Uh, they made Sweet Sixteen tickets available. It was Michael's third year. You had, you had just left. And right. uh, or you left, you know, the, the year prior, and so right, right. my my dad wanted to give me something, so so we got these Sweet Sixteen tickets, 
And I'll forever remember that night that the Bulls were playing the Celtics, you know, and, and my mom passed away that morning. And, you know, I didn't want to think – I didn't want to think about my mom passing. I wanted to see go see Michael play Bird, you know. I, you, you don't want to deal with that pain, certainly not as a young kid. But I'll always remember it. They lost that yeah, game. That- <laughs> Yeah. yeah, right. You said they lost that game. They lost that I think it was 111-106, which is crazy that I know that score. But, I, you know, um, yeah. let, let, let's uh, let's tell a couple NBA stories here. You That Bulls team that you came into, Orlando Woolridge was the first poster I ever had up on my wall. I think I went to some game, and they gave out these Puma Woolridge posters. So that went up. And Quentin Daly was also a favorite of mine. And these guys were right. incredible. These, this, you know, and yourself, you, you had yourself and uh, Wes Matthews in the backcourt. I mean, some speedy point guards. That team had a ton of talent. I, I don't know, you know, and, and Quinn and Orlando are no longer with us. But what, what do you remember about those guys? Any, any story stand out? Well, well, actually, Wes came the, the, the second year. Uh, okay. Wes Matthews, uh, Ronnie Lester, and uh, Mitchell Wiggins. Uh, me, me, Mitchell Wiggins, uh, Quinn Daly were, were the guys uh, that first year. And of course, you know Reggie. Reggie was there earlier uh, in, you know, in, in in the season. Then he was traded okay. to uh, Kansas City and everything. But uh, Ronnie's one, Daly, Ronnie is one of my favorite guys. He's such a good dude. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Everybody, everybody, every, everybody I hear about, and he was a great guy. Like myself, a lot of people say, you know, he, he was a great guy, even at. You know, I've heard so many stories. I got a lot of relatives in Chicago, but I've heard a lot of stories about before his injury, you know, how tough uh, Ronnie Lester uh, uh, was and everything. And it, it, it's just amazing. But, but it was me, Ronnie Lester, uh, uh, Quinn Daly, and uh, Mitchell Wiggins were the guards. Yeah. Uh, who who was the most talented? Uh, concern, con- concerning who? <laughs> in that guard tandem, who, who was the most talented? You could say yourself, yeah. Enos. I, I, I just say I, I thought we had like before Mike came. I thought we were, we were kind of just starting off. I'm not saying that Chicago was not a winning team. We were not. We hadn't established ourselves as a winning team. But I would say I'll say between uh, Quinn Daly, uh, Mitchell Wiggins, and I said we we, we 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 all could play. But I think just as far as trying to establish yourself, uh, you know that that I think that was a, a big thing there. Of course, you know about uh, with Quinn Daly, his history, and then. Uh, you know, uh, coming in with, with Orlando Woolrich and, and, and just all those things. But I, I would have to say, you know, Quindale could score the ball. I, I, I still hold a assist record yep. right now in, in Chicago, which is amazing after Rondo and and just uh, so many guys, Derrick Rose and all those guys that played in Chicago. I thought that it probably would have uh, been broken by now. But but Quindale, I remember times in, in games, man, like I said, I got so many, I can talk basketball stories. But I remember times Quindale would go – you know, eight for eight and, and, and different things like that. Some nights against New York, I think, and against Atlanta, which I got the record on, man. This, this guy is like an incredible shooter, man. Just just unbelievable, you know, off, off, off the dribble, you know? Yeah. What What do you remember about the, the Michael story with, you know, he's coming in his rookie year and he's showing up in the hotel room? Yeah, I, I never, like I said to you, I, I never seen Mike at, at, in, in the room. I hear the stories all the time. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, what all transpired at the time, but he, you know, just hearing it from from most people and just you know from media, you know, saying that you know Mike came into the room and all the teammates, you know, they're doing drugs. I I actually really don't, you know, re- remember you know ever seeing Mike, you know, because um, you know when you come to your hotel, you don't, you know, you I like we 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 were not friends like where where you come to each other room and everything. So yeah, you know, like like I said, I I, I didn't I didn't 
remember seeing him at, at, at you know on that time, but I I do know that you know I I, I know I've been in in the room before you know so you know when you, when you when you're in the hotel room normally you go in your room you know it's your own private time you know what I'm saying whatever you're doing you know yeah of course I I I, yeah. I would you guys are around each other enough you would think in your hotel room you're by yourself do you did you ever right. get you ever get into it with him in practice no like I said the uh, the Michael Jordan I remember Michael Jordan which is. Uh, like I said, more of a driven, uh, wide-eyed guy. Like I, when I'm used to word country, I'm not using it in a derogatory way. I'm just saying that he was, he was just, he was just hungry and, and just, you know, trying to. None of us knew at the time, like to me, who was going to be what. But I, rem, I remember him. Coming, I remember him being as, as as Michael Jordan, not not the, not the MJ and the, the things that I see in the Last Dance. <laughs> I, I never seen him punch anybody or anything. He, he was more of a kind of we, everyone was just kind of establishing themselves or trying to anyway. He was just a rookie that year, you know? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So give, tell me about Moses Malone in Washington as you move along to the Bullets, which uh, was one of your best years in, in the league. You Yeah, uh, Big Mo, a good friend of mine, first of all. What, what's your first name? Mark. Yeah, okay, Mark. Mark. Yeah, Moses uh, was, a, was a good friend of mine. He passed away. I think it's been, I'm not sure how many a years. A while now, been. yeah. That's yeah, but uh, – I, I, I played with Moses and, and with the Washington Bullets and everything, and uh, we, uh, we 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 played together. But a real good, real good friend of mine, uh, just a heck of a guy, you know, kind of taught me a lot of things about like like on, on the court about work habits and and just different things like that, man. But uh, he was kind of like in the middle, uh, almost in the prime time of his his career. But but just an unbelievable guy, man. Just a lot of stories, you know, about him coming out of high school, man. Just uh, you know, good friend and everything. Yeah. I remember at at the, at the stadium. I'm, I'm sure you remember when you would come off the court. You know, you'd walk by the fans behind the bucket, and then you guys would get to the stairs and go down. And they used to have basically no security, so I I would come down from the mezzanine, sneak into the boxes, and then I would jump over the hockey board at the end of the game, and I would run to where you guys would come off, and I would try to get high fives from you. You know. That's what that's what a, uh, that's what a normal kid would do in my mind. So one time I went to the wrong end. So the visitors are coming off, and I think this is like '83. So he's a Moses is a sixer, and I'm you know I'm ten years old, and I'm not a big kid at all. But and I'm also ten, and Moses is walking towards me, and he's unwrapping his the tape that he was using for his wrists. And I'm looking up at this guy, and I'm thinking that is that is a godlike figure. I've never seen anybody sweat that much. Uh, it will forever be in my mind. Like Mo- Moses was, there was something mythical about him, almost like he was just a big dude that 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 was just a warrior. I don't know if any of that makes sense to you. Yeah, he has a, a unbelievable talent, man. For him to just first of all go to the pros out of high school, how they say on the street, they said that was a grown man, you know, yeah. uh, at, at size. So. I, I live in Maryland now, so they were just saying if, if the University of Maryland could have got him out of of, of, of college, left to Giselle, you know, they were just saying how, how good the University of Maryland could have been. But he was definitely a grown man, and, and I, I can imagine back in those days, you know, when, when, when he was very young and playing with the Houston Houston Rockets, I believe, at, at, at that time, man. I mean, this guy was what they call the chairman of the board. He was the original uh, uh, sludgehammer guy on the board, you know. Was he a gentle giant, or would he, was would he kind of put it on you? Yeah, he would put it on you. You know, he was he was he was he to me he could easily go down as one of the top power forwards. You know, to you know to 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 play this game. You know, when you 
when you talk about the Maurice Lucas, the you know the the, the, the Buck Williams, the you know what I'm saying the Tim Duncan's, you know, I I mean I, I think Moses as for coming out of high school, man, was probably one of the few guys that established himself as as as, as a boardsman you know, on the board, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh let's go to your '87 '88. Uh, Atlanta Hawks team, and then you got then you play with the Hawks later in your career, ninety three, ninety four. That was a fifty seven win team. So you play with Dominique when he was young, and you play with him towards the end of his career as well. Like what 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 stands out about Neek? Uh, another incredible friend, you know. Like I said, I played with so many players. I you know, as a journeyman, you get to do that. I have have had an incredible uh, life. You know, God's been good to me. But I actually. Uh, uh, just like Mike, we we go back to college because uh, Dominique uh, played at Georgia, yeah, and I played I played at the University of Alabama. So we the year the, the year we uh, my my uh, rookie let me see my rookie my, my freshman year in college we won the SEC tournament. And we so we played we had to beat Georgia in order to get there. But an un, unbelievable talent. When you talking about a human highlight film, man, you got to be kidding me, man. This this guy, especially in '87, I, I was actually with the Hawks. Three times that that year, I replaced John Battle. Uh, you know uh, that year, and I played with the Hawks, and I, I think I came back ninety four, ninety five, and with Lenny Wilkins was there for two years. But uh, yeah. Dominique Wilkins, probably one of the most athletic, uh, exciting guy like Dr. J. Uh, that 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 to me, you know, they 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 skill set may not be as 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 talented as as, as Jordan for its fundamental wise, but for its excitement, probably one of the most exciting. Uh, players to me uh, to play the game, you know. So I'll make you a general manager, Enos. You can have Dominique for his career, or you can have Clyde Drexler. Who are you taking? Ah, that's 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 good. I'm, uh, it, it depends on what what I need at the time, but uh, like I said, I play with some great players. If, if I'm a two guard, I'm, I'm taking uh, I'm, I'm taking Drexler because man, the, the guy's a winner, you know. Uh, I'm not saying I heard it in the last dance, you know, Jordan, you know, things he was saying, but but Clyde was a pretty a heck of a player. Actually, I, I got drafted one, 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 uh, one slot before Clyde drafted. I went 13, he went 14. You know. Yeah. It's you know everything, but I'm. It's crazy. I, I, I would, I would, I would take Drexler as, as a two guard, but uh, but also I would take Dominique. Dominique could score the ball, you know, but if I, I probably take Drexler at at, at, at the two spot. I, that is. Uh... Those are those are two high flyers right there. What do you remember about playing in? in you played in Israel for a year, is that right? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I I told you I have an unbelievable story. I played in Gavat up in um, up toward Nazareth. I played for this team. Uh, I played a full year there uh, in, in in Israel. I played for a team that was trying to stay in Division One and everything. When I I, I would kind of like play in the league, and if I didn't make the team, I kind of won the first couple guys not that guys were not going overseas but i kind of you know you know you went and made money other places in uh, israel one of the places that i went do you like your experience there i did i loved it i loved it i, I had a great experience uh many times many people saying i should have could have easily stayed in europe and not necessarily you know been a star but you know uh that maccabi televis is also there i was on a, a, a local kabusnik team uh, uh there playing which we were just trying to stay in division one but you know, you had uh, uh, a Television, you had uh, uh, Galil, you had a lot of top teams that was in Israel. That was pretty good, you know. It's a different land, man. I- I've been there a couple times. When-, when you land in Israel, you you know you're not you know you're not home. Let's put it that way. Yeah, let, let me say this right here, because uh, I ain't up. 
when I had got married, I had my, my two sons were very young. Marcus was like uh, uh, probably about maybe I think he was in the first grade. But I I, I tell you what, I had a great experience o- o- over there because I'm a, I'm a Christian. You know, I know if you're Jewish, you know that's the opposite side of it. But uh, you know, I got a chance to go to Tiberias, just go to Jerusalem. So you know, I you know you got a chance to, to see just a whole different uh, perspective. Of, of 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 life, man. Uh, I, I actually really had, had had a good time. You know how when you go over there, man. You know you hear all these things, but I, I really actually had a a, a a good time when I was in Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I you know I I grew up. I was you know raised Jewish and all that, and um, sure, sure. So we, you know, when I had my midlife crisis in my early thirties, Enos, when I quit my job and broke up with my girlfriend, and I'm like, I'm gonna go travel for two months and figure out what the hell's gonna go on in my life. So, oh, so I, okay. I, I, I stopped. I, I had a friend who in high school here who was born in Israel and he had to go back and be in the army. And then he met his wife and he, he, uh, wow. he, he, you know, he, so he lives over there. So I'm like, I'm going to go visit this dude. And we were down in Elat, which is the southernmost point. So Jordan's right there and Morocco. And, you know, you're, you are, you are like the whole world is, is, is right there, really. And so, you know, I'm on the beach and I'm hearing, you know, straight Southern Christian talk like, you know, flying from these dudes that are jumping off some raft that's hanging out in the Mediterranean Sea. And I'm like, where are y'all coming from? And they're like, well, it's my church group from, you know, from, from Dallas. And it was, so it was just cool to see that, you know, you think that the only people that are in Israel are, are Jews and that's not really the case. Like, I mean, obviously there's a heavy Jewish population, but people from all over the world over there. So that that's, it's cool to hear that you had a great time. I, I did. And I remember playing there in a lot uh, called Willie Sims at the time, which was, I played in the SEC in Alabama. And he was like maybe four or five, six, maybe five years ahead of me. Him and Ethan Martin played at LSU together. So I ended up going there and playing against him so uh you know we just it, it was a great time it was a great experience you know you, you hear a lot of things well especially through the bible you hear a lot of things and you get a chance to you know to to actually go there Tiberius, i enjoy you know uh hypo you know i, I wake up and had a, had a real nice landlord miss odessa who i stayed with at the time man he just treated me so nice you know you just got a chance speak a little hebrew you know just just you know it was <laughs> It was pretty cool. I enjoyed it a little bit. You know, I, I really did. Yeah, I know you. Uh, you can hear it here. I, I speak a little Hebrew. is kind of amazing. I, I've never spoken a little Hebrew. Maybe I can do a prayer or two, but I have no idea what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> most Jews, most either, 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 either traditionally they're for it or they like. Man, I don't speak. You know, I don't speak Hebrew. So you right. know, they say you know, they're like, hey, man, I'm I'm, I'm American, or, you know, I, I noticed that a lot, though, right. you know. Yeah, I, I could bust out a shalom and I'll eat a matzo ball soup, but, you know, that's that. that yeah. <laughs> matzo ball, if you do matzo ball, man, hey, on my, on my corner, a restaurant where I live in Maryland, man, a uh, good friend of mine, Dempsey's restaurant, he, I have matzo ball soup all the time, it's pretty good, you know. <laughs> it's, it's not bad, especially when you're sick. Uh, <laughs> it, it's good, right? Yeah, no, it, 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 it does you right. Let me, let me do, uh, I, I I got so many things that I want to get to here before you go. So we got like five minutes here, but um, let me ask you about three guys. Number number right. one, uh, wh- what do you remember about Minute? Because you got to play with him, and that guy's a straight hero. I don't know if you had any relationship with him. I did, man. Another another friend, man. You bringing up some friends, man. I'm serious. I was I was in Washington uh, that year, actually, when Moses was there. When Moses came from Philadelphia too. Uh, uh, the Bullets. I actually made the Bullets team that year in, in Manute Bowl. But just, 
just a fun man, fun, 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 fun guy, man. We, you know, he, you know, he, 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 he he's just hilarious, man. You know, he, uh, you, you know, he passed away too, though. You know that, right? Uh, yeah, I do. Tragic, tragic. <laughs> and he gave, and he gave so much uh, back to his people, uh, back to his country. Uh, yeah. Just a, a hero, flat out hero, yeah, he, Minute man. Yeah, he he did. But I tell you, man, we we, we had I call him Dinky, Dinky <laughs> Bo. He was just a good friend, and and he would call me this thing that I can't say, you know, uh, to you, but it. But he he does a, he does a funny he's, he's a good guy man uh, I, I miss old Manute man I sure do man he's, he's a good guy man do you yeah. do you remember the picture in Sports Illustrated of him being in the pool? I mean, tell me pool. I, I, I think I did see that. He right. He was in like a, I don't know fifteen foot long pool and they had a picture of him and his arms are extended forward and it's like oh my he was the it was just <laughs> I got I got to look that up but it it was a spectacle of like that a man could actually be that tall and that long. Um, and it makes me actually think of, I was in the locker room one time covering when the Spurs were in town and David Robinson was on one of those Bosu balls. And I'm, I was like, all right, all men were not created equal. Like that dude is seven feet tall and he's chiseled. And it's it just, uh, and I'm sitting here at five ten. That, that doesn't, that doesn't all add up. Um, if that makes well, any let me sense. Tell you, yeah. Let me tell you a little story about the new, uh, when I was with the bullets, this is so funny. He had actually uh, what, what kind of a Chevy uh, truck. We wanted a little, not, not a forerunner, but it's kind of like a truck. So Manute was so tall, I kid you not, that that they took they took the uh, they they took the seat out. They they took their, their back seat out in order for him to to, to drive. And like, he was not a good driver and everything. So so he, they took the seat out, and and and, and man, he used to try to drive his to watch his his kneecap. Kind of come on. He could actually reach the the, uh, the 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 paddle, the gas paddle from the back seat of, of, of the truck. Man, we would we would give him a hard time and laugh, man. But but his his driving like his driving skills were were, were, were not that good. So he he kind of like gave it up out the year and said he's not he wasn't going to try driving for you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you could do it. I mean, how your 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 arms got to be on the steering wheel. That's just like. That's a that feels like a high degree of difficulty right there. Yeah, incredible, man. Uh, new, new, good, good friend though. But he should try to drive from the back seat, man. That did not go too well. So he ended up getting. I mean, before Uber really come out, he ended up, you know, he ended up <laughs> driving back. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he sure That'd be an interesting one if you're an Uber driver who picking up Minute. Right. Uh, right. We have to make that work somehow here for you, Minute. Who, who uh, what, what do you got on a like a Magic or Bird or or, or Barkley story? I, I got, I got, like I said, I like I, we just talking come out. My my Bird story is this right here. I'm, I'm in the Celtics camp, so they they down to 14 players when Brian Shaw was a. Uh, 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 actually, I think drafted and everything, and uh, I can't think of the big fan of uh, Kevin Ronnie Grunson in that keep. So I, I never forget we playing in Milwaukee, but and uh, actually I think if, if Larry played in the game or not. So I always say the difference between uh, the, the two times the Jordan and the, and the Bird stories. I'm on a two on one fast break. We going back and forth, passing the ball back, and so I hit it because it's Larry. But I'm on the when I played Michael Jordan, I passed the ball. I, I kind of knew it wasn't going to come back. Up. Jordan probably going to shoot it, but. <laughs> When I'm playing, I'm playing with Larry Bird, and I passed him, he hit a touch pass back to me, and I scored the left. Never forget, we played in the Milwaukee Bucks, and I never forget, he said, Enos, if you want to make this team, you're going to have to shoot that shot. 
and uh, they, a reporter asked him, they, he said, Enos Wally is the best point guard in camp. He may not make the team, but he was like the best point guard at that time. And, man, they, I, I kid you not, when I passed the ball to Larry Bird and he passed it back to me, I said with my confidence, man, I ended up, I maybe scored 10 or 12 that, that game, but, but it was just the idea that, man, Larry Bird passed the ball back to me, man. That just blew my mind, man. I, I, I kid you not, man. It, you know, it, it was just crazy, man. But Larry Bird was just that type. A player, man. I, I remember in the Chicago days when, 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 when Larry Bird, like kind of really all the white guys, uh, Kevin McHale, uh Danny Ainge, he's kind of a decent friend of mine. I played with him in Portland. They would come out and say, "Hey, hey, uh, Ainge, how, how you feel, man? These, these white guys coming out here busting y'all up like this, you know?" <laughs> so, so you know, it, it was kind of like fun. So I never get me Orlando without. We were just warming up. We like, like, what do you mean, man? So you know, they were just trash talking McHale and. And, you know, that Bird was just kind of messing with Orlando words and everything. But, but, but Bird, incredible player, man. He, he, I, he, he's high on my list, you know. It seemed like, you know, just watching the body language between Bird and Orlando, that they had, like, some level of respect. I, am I reading that right? I, I tell you, because I, I think uh, Orlando respect. Orlando kind of is a good friend of mine, too, uh, 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 with, with Orlando and Larry, because Larry was just was such a – Good, I think. Oh, definitely respect Larry Bird because uh, just his skill set and just and just man, the, the guy is very. I don't think he's underrated, but he just you know he just. I mean, he he when they when they come to talking about clutch shooters and just guys that could flat out was a killer, he would definitely go down in my book as as, as a killer. I, I say that you know. Yeah, I, as a fan, when Bur- yeah. I, I feared Bird more than I feared Magic. I feared I, I feared Isaiah a ton too. I I, I, I Isaiah was was a killer too. I, now when we miss it, I know we kind of like I said, just get it. However, you know when, when you're talking about it, but my whole life, Isaiah Thomas kind of like 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 my type of uh, what they call. If you ever had a goal that you had to be set, Isaiah Thomas was that goal that I wanted to get to. I I, I follow, never forget watching him in uh, uh, in high school. So. You know, uh, when he went to Indiana, he left out to Southmore. So my whole goal, man, when I first was playing against Isaiah, man, I just I, I was a little bit taller than he was. But but as far as to me, to to me, this is just my barbershop talk. I I think he's the best small point guard to to play. You know, to to play the game and everything. But in, incredible player. He, he he was like my my little idol hero. You know, incredible handle, incredible shooter, incredible competitor. I mean, am I missing anything? I I I, I don't think so. No. Hey, can flat out, can flat out. We talk about Iverson. We talk about uh, Kyrie. We talk about all them guys. But in his heyday, you know, I'm I'm biased a little bit because you know, like like I said, I, I believe that I, I just believe that I'm not gonna put another a one small point guard under six feet uh, in front of Isaiah Thomas. That that just that just that just me, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. I was having an argument with my with a friend of mine about it uh, the other day, and he's like, you, you, "If you look at his stats and this and that, I'm like, I, you can you can bring that up all you want. The guy, the guy was, you know, and and maybe by the time the dream team came around, you know, he I mean, obviously he was well past it at that point, but historically, he he belonged on that team all day long. I mean, I don't think that you know, like like the political part you can get into and debate, you know. So you know that that part right there you can kind of can get into, but. As far as like point guard, you know Stockton was a good guard too. Cause Stockton, if from a point guard, I, I, I was a playmaking point guard, so I respect John Stockton too. But I, I just, I, I just favored Isaiah Thomas, you know, and I, 
he could have easily been on the team like a lot of other people, like Dominique Wilkins probably could have been on it. You know, just, you know, you yeah. know, other, other but, but, you know, he, he could have easily been on it. Definitely Isaiah could, you know, he, he should have been on it, you know, other than what probably went down, you know. Yeah. Do you have a magic story? Uh, magic, magic, like I said, uh, those were two guys when I was coming out of Southmore. I kind of like was ranked real high as a, as a point guard coming out of Alabama, you know, considered one of the best coming out. And uh, I, I remember them leaving out, and they was out. Oh, Magic was out of uh, like uh, the Michigan area, and so uh, you know the whole thing is that you know to watch, watch him and Bird play beforehand. Those were guys and idols that you kind of looked up to at the time, you know. And yeah. and, and if anybody seen Magic Johnson play, who wouldn't want to be like like Magic and everything? But I. I really, you know, I, like like Magic was was six feet, I guess eight, and I was more of a small point guard. I, right. I think I had some pretty, you know, decent games, you know, against him. But but he was, like I said, other than being one of the best, you know, uh, that's the only story that I have. That yeah. Yeah. So uh, is working people find you if you? I know you do speaking and um, you've been helping people a ton. I guess uh, talking and, and trying to get people on the right path, like you were able to do in your life, thirty-two years sober and. Congratulations on all of it, and I really, really, really appreciate the time today. But uh, how, how do people catch up with you? Well, you know, normally, like I said, I uh, for like since I've been married, and uh, you know, actually, actually, I became a grandfather over uh, yesterday. I became a grandfather. Wow! <laughs> yesterday? Yeah. yeah, yesterday I became my, my son. My son played play play Enos Junior. He plays in Italy, and uh, he he uh, he actually had a, a daughter uh, yesterday, uh, Enos uh-huh. Maria. But uh, I, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I do a lot of uh, uh, public speaking, you know, uh, like just sharing my story, you know, sharing my testimony and everything. But I, I kind of, you know, uh, go around probably all over working working with the Wizards. I worked out with the uh, Washington Wizards alumni, you know, uh, monumental sports and everything. Kind of just going around, you know. That's 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 what I kind of do, you know. Okay, well, if anybody wants to get in contact with Enos, I, I will I will help you point in the right direction and. Uh, I, I pre- I'd love to see you back in Chicago to do some, you know, do a talk one day too. That'd be awesome to have you back in the city. If, if we have a man, just keep a numb and everything, man. We round, man. Appreciate it. You know, uh, uh, you know, we'll stay in contact, man. And, and that, that'd be cool. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it's been great connecting with you. And it's, I really enjoyed it. And th- thanks for sharing all, all your stories and, you know, the vulnerable stuff too. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Time to bring in everyone's favorite, Ethan Blumenthal, as we look ahead to the baseball season. Ethan, you love baseball, but do you love the new rules? I, for one, despise them, at least some of them. So we might be on the same side here, but I'm not sure if we are. How do you feel about the designated hitter? I feel like we've talked about this. Uh, We did, didn't we? Well, um, I don't know if we talked about it. So I, I think that the whole wackiness of the season is kind of leaning into it and saying, let's see how crazy we can get. And it just gets crazier and crazier once you start talking wet rag, you know? Um, so that's, you know, that, that's definitely uh, the most hilarious thing there. But in terms of the DH, I think that people aren't, there's not as much um, uprising about it because people aren't sure if it's going to stick. I kind of feel like once they do it, they're going to be like, yeah, we're going to stick with it. And so I do think it's going to, you know, be around. I I go back and forth on the DH, but if you have a strong opinion, I'd love to hear it. Well, when you think about the Cubs, the National League team in this 
incredible city that we're so fortunate to live in. What are the greatest moments in Wrigley Field history? Anything come to mind? The greatest moments in Wrigley Field history? Yep. What comes to mind? I mean, there's a lot that comes to mind. I mean, if you are we talking about pitchers hitting? Is that what you want me to well, bring up? Because I, 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 I don't. You can. I for me. The, there, yeah. the the number one moment here. I'll give you my top three moments in Wrigley Field history. Num- okay. Number one, when they beat the Dodgers to go to the World Series, and if yeah. you were in the park that night, it was a biblical experience. I mean, people were weeping. They were so damn happy, and I walked around and interviewed the fans. And people were saying that this was better than the birth of their children. Like, that was a universal take. It was such a relief that they had gotten to the World Series. So that was like the end of the Dodgers series I would put up there. Montero's homer in Game 1 of that series was bananas. Yeah, Straight bananas. And uh, so that's up there. But then my other one, Kerry Wood. Game 7, down to... Two outs, 3-2 pitch, into the left field bleachers. And I don't know if you were there that night. You probably weren't. I wasn't there, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I believe the year was 2003 for those people who didn't quite catch that right. enough at home. Right. It was It was incredible. And then yeah. if you go back, you know, you know, deeper in my 11-year-old childhood part, Rick Sutcliffe hitting a homer in 1984 was sweet. When pitchers hit a home run, when pitchers do anything, when John Lester goes deep, it's awesome. So I don't I, I'm a I'm a fan of the pitcher hitting. I like double switches. I like strategy. I don't need another masher to be up there to do the same thing that every other single at bat is trying to do. I, well, I you like the fact that the that half of the league does it the opposite way where they don't have the pitcher bat. I mean that to me is kind of it seems just silly. So that seems silly. Now I, I did. I have seen one take, and let me let me hear me out. See if you like the way way this can happen. Is instead of having a DH the whole time, the DH is only in the game so long as the starting pitcher is in the game. So as soon as the starting pitcher leaves, the DH is then also removed from the game. So then that kind of still has, if you want some of that, you know, crazy double switching that can happen. Um, that can still be a part of the game. How, how do you feel about that? I actually. I don't know. I almost would prefer it being the the vice versa, that once the starting pitcher leaves, you can bring in the DH. I don't know. I've never thought that one through. That's interesting. But I, I don't. I Look, I would like it to be universal. No DH. But at least we have the National League style of baseball, and I, I kind of liked that there was a little differentiation, a little splitting of the leagues. It was It was a unique thing. And I don't know why we had to have as part of the negotiations here that we'll give you the DH. It just, first of all, they didn't, they never had an agreement anyway. So why do we have to go to this? And now all of a sudden pitchers can't hit. Why? I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, can I tell you that it's never quite made sense to me why pitchers have to generally be bad at hitting? Because the fact is these pitchers, for the most part, they were hitting and probably the best players on their teams, at least through high school. And then they probably, and I'm sure they were not only the best pitcher, but they were also the best shortstop and the best hitter and and all of that. And a lot of them probably hit in college too. I mean, I, I, you know, I know that pitching is 
all important thing, but I never understood why don't they take some more at bats? Why don't they work on their swing a little bit? Not their main thing, but why do they have to bat 150? Right. We, you know, so is there a reason that they have to? I, we, we're in agreement here. What do you think of the extra innings? There will be a runner on second base to start each half inning uh, if it goes to, you know, the 10th inning. So we'll play somebody out there, and it's actually just so that people are aware, it's going to be who's ever in the batting order immediately preceding the last half innings, you know, last out. So the leadoff hitter in that inning, that's who goes out to second base. So it could be your, like, Whatever it could be for the Cubs, it could be Chris Bryant. All of a sudden, is on second, and he doesn't get a chance to take the ball to the ballpark. Right. So, so here's what I think about that. I think clearly, if they ever tried to do something like that at any point in the game during a regular season, I would definitely be up in arms. For this, I mean, why the hell not? As far as I'm concerned, they could have a home run derby. They could have a race. They could have you know the two slowest relief pitchers try to, you know, run around the warning track to see if one of them just can make it without falling down. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of things that I would be happy to see. And I I don't really care because this season is kind of up in the air. And I'll also just say my bold prediction um, right here on this podcast is that there is not a 60 game season that is played. I don't really see it happening with this whole, you know, it was all about money like a week ago. And realistically, it's still all about that little, pandemic thing that's still going on how many games do you think they play so it wouldn't shock me if they didn't play any and they in spring training the players started to get it and they were like we just can't do this This is not going to be possible um so that wouldn't shock me but i'm going to say um under 20 games yeah i i said on the radio show over the weekend six to ten saturday night wgn radio I, I said the White Sox would finish six and two, and the Cubs would finish four and four. So yeah, eight. Yeah. Let's go with eight. I hope I'm wrong, and I and I do think that even if things get real kind of dicey, I think they'll continue to push on. But when half a team tests positive, then we're gonna have trouble. But I mean, when you know when the Angels are playing and Mike Trout and Shohei Otani both have coronavirus and they're quarantined for 14 days, this. Two weeks, one of them, you know, it's two weeks that they can't be out there. That's, you know, almost half the season, uh, a quarter of the season. You know, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, they're done for two weeks. I mean, who wants to watch the Cubs play 60 games when half of their games are going to be played without some of their key guys? I just feel like that's going to happen. It'll be very very interesting to when all the players get to camp and are tested, how many actually test positive because guys don't know. They, they, you know, they could very well be asymptomatic carriers. You don't know. So the, the other, the other fun rule. I don't know if you uh, read deep enough into that, but that um, managers will be subject to suspensions if they come within six feet of the umpire when trying to argue a call. Now, the whole arguing with the umpire is kind of a lost art, anyways, because now you can just challenge the play. You know, which kind of ruins that whole situation but i kind of think and, and, and hear me out here in order to make you know they've, they've done like all-star games where they mic the players up or spring training games and that's always kind of fun but why don't we just give the why don't we give the the managers a, a megaphone 
And then they can just kind of stand from 20 feet away and just shout at the umpire everything they want to say. And then we all get to hear it and get to be entertained by that. That just adds another element to the game. What do you think about that? Phenomenal idea. Completely into it. You can you can you can walk out to the designated megaphone, yell at the umpire area, yeah, and have at it. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, and everyone and and everyone and and then everyone gets to hear it, and then we're all we're all part of that. And I think that really this that should go for any. You know, I mean, let's all, let's mic up the coaches. You know, let's see what what's really the nastiest things that they're that's coming out of those mouths. And I think. Well, I'm just excited to hear. Okay, we're gonna mound visits, and y'all are not. You're supposed to keep social distancing. I'm fired up for those conversations. I mean, maybe we're gonna have fans in the stands. Maybe we're not. But most likely, even if we do, we're gonna be able to hear what's being said. Listen, motherfucker. It's true. <laughs> you know, it's true. Yeah, we are gonna. We're gonna. We are gonna know because uh, there's no gonna be any fan noise. And I didn't see that. I saw some sports. They were talking about pumping in fan noise. Um, are they going to do that with Major League Baseball? Did you say anything about that? I I think that they might. I don't think they should. I'm down with a nice, peaceful. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe it'll feel very jarring. But I, I'm I'm cool with it. Little whatever birds chirping in the background, whatever's going on. I'm you know if I can hear the L riding by at Wrigley, or I guess same thing at Guaranteed Rate. Maybe we can get a little shot of the Dan Ryan. I'm good. I agree. I think I I think it'll. I think the first game it'll be like whoa. But you remember that White Sox game that they played a few years ago in Baltimore where it was, there was no one there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, um, the other thing the other uh, thing is they're, they're not allowed to high-five each other. The players are not allowed to high-five each other. And so I don't know if you – but I think back in 2016, um, David Ross, who's now the manager of the Cubs, he came up with the, the David Ross dick bump. Um, so do you, you know what I'm talking about, where they just kind of like – rubbed crotches with each other. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a little bit. It was a, an aggressive thrust situation. Yeah, it, was a, it was a thrust. It was a thrust. It was a man-to-man. It's two dudes hanging out, having fun, and just um, just just touching dicks together. And so um, I think that is going to kind of come back and go league-wide. And I think that could, you know, when you think about players as role models for kids, I think that could be an interesting um Interesting to see where society goes when instead of high five, we just replace them with uh, the David Ross dick bump. So I, I think that's an interesting thing to watch out for. I'm not exactly certain that there was ever any touching of the region. It's, well, I, you take a look. You type that in right now, and and you'll see. They, I mean, they're they're thrusting and they they they're touching. I think they're touching. I mean, as far as I understand it, and what from what I remember watching, it looks like looking like there was touching going on. Now there are cups, you know, so there are cups really protecting um, the the specific region. But, um, but uh, yeah, but, you know, I, I think that could be coming back big time. I mean, all right, I'm going to have to look at some video here, but I never, I don't remember it being quite that close. But, hey, uh, maybe they, you know, no pun intended, got a little bit excited in the moment. So you mentioned the wet rag, which for those uh, who are not following along at home, Notwithstanding, uh, all pitchers may carry a small wet rag in their back pocket that's to be used for moisture in lieu of licking their fingers. Uh, Water is the only substance that is allowed on that rag. Uh, Pitchers may not access the rag while on the pitching rubber and must clearly wipe the fingers of said pitching hand dry before touching the ball or the pitcher's rubber. So you've got thoughts on this? 
Uh, I mean, I think it's just when I saw just to, you know, carry a wet rag, it just, I don't know. It just, it just sounds funny to me. Uh, I think it's, I think it's fine. I think I saw something else about that. They're in batting practice. They're only going to use those balls once. And then the balls they use are going to be sanitized and won't be able to be touched for five days. So I just think that there is a lot of these things that are going to be kind of silly. I mean, I just, you know, I, I don't know how much that's going to help. Is it, is it even, what, what are they going to do when Kyle Hendricks steps on the bump and he licks his finger and then wipes it on his pants? Are they going to throw him out of the game? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I think they're going to kick him out of the league. Forever. You're, Maybe kick him out of the United States of America. Maybe you, that's that. You're, you're done. It, it is interesting what they're doing with the actual baseballs um, and how you know, very few people are allowed to touch the baseballs. Players should keep and use their own personal equipment whenever possible. Any baseball that is put in play and touched by multiple players shall be removed. And then they continue on. After and out, players are discouraged from throwing the ball around the infield. And then fighting and instigating fights are strictly prohibited. Can you imagine if we had a bench-clearing brawl? Yeah. Um, and then with the and then and then along those the duties normally handled by bat boys and girls uh, will be performed by the existing club staff. Other than balls stored in an Arizona's humidor, clubhouse staff are pro- prohibited from handling game or practice balls without washing their hands and without wearing face coverings and clean gloves. Individuals must use clean tap water or drinking water to supplement rubbing. It's a lot of uh, tension on the baseball there, Ethan. Yeah, a lot of tension, and and I think I want to get back to your point about the about the the, the all out team brawls. I think it would be really funny because obviously you know the guys would be like, "Listen, we want to fight you. We're really pissed. You just hit our guy, whatever it may be." But maybe they can have a fight and somehow use projectiles. I'm thinking maybe a nice clean game of dodgeball, and so everyone's you know socially distanced, and they're just 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 slinging these, these, those hard rubber dodgeballs, the ones that, that, you, that you used to play with, not the, the little foamy ones that they play with now, and they just go at each other, and then they get to take out that aggression, have a quick five-minute dodgeball break, um, throw some stuff at each other, and then we can socially distance and still have the brawl. What do you think about that? Uh, not bad, not bad. I, I, was, I was thinking maybe you have a five-minute timeout where everybody can get to their locker and get on their computer and get on a Zoom call, and then on the Zoom call, everybody can scream at each other. What do you think of that? Like mm. a Zoom brawl. Yeah. A Zoom brawl. Yeah, I think maybe I think we might be able to use some some technological way to skip the whole having to go into into the locker room. Uh, but yeah, I like a little Zoom brawl, and then and then of course again that should all be broadcasted so we can hear everything that's going on. Right, right. It, it's a Zoom. Maybe you can do it right there in the. Well, it, it'd be challenging with the social distance in the dugout situation because that's not going right. to be easy. But I, uh, you know. I don't know if you. I mean, these guys. I James McCann of the White Sox, and a lot of them are. They're freaked out by the non-spitting. You know, this is something oh, yeah. they, you know they've been doing forever, and now I can't spit. It's it's second nature. It's it's like you know putting on your cleats and yeah, you know. There's there's no there's no there's no spitting sunflower seeds or or anything. You can't. There's there's none of that. And I think it, to me, it's like the natural reaction walking onto a baseball field. For some reason, you walk onto a baseball field and you just want to spit. 
That's just how I feel. I pick up a baseball glove and I throw it. I throw a ball and I just I spit. It's just it's a natural thing. I think that's going to be so hard to enforce. And then what are they going to do? They're just going to hand out warnings and then they're going to have to suspend someone for spitting at some point. I mean, what that's just going to be it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I do think at the end of the day, this is a good thing. Stop being a disgusting freaking human being and learn to control yourself. You don't need to spit every five seconds because you're standing out at shortstop or in left field or at the plate. Just control yourself like a civilized human and keep the saliva in the old mouth. I don't think it's a terrible adjustment for baseball, but I do agree at the same time that it's going to be a big challenge for these guys because they've been doing it literally their whole lives. Exactly. Now, another another element to this, and um, I don't know if you – so are some stadiums going to have fans? Is that what I'm seeing, that they're going to have like 20% capacity? That's being proposed. We'll see. So let's assume that that doesn't happen. And then I know I've seen that, I think, in a game in Korea, they fill the stands with uh, – with Cardboard uh, cutouts? Well, cardboard cutouts, and there was also um, – uh, dolls or uh, stuffed animals, you know, stuffed toys, whatever. Uh, and then I know I saw something, there was like an opera where they put plants in the stands. So I'm thinking, do you have any thoughts about what kind of things we could put in the stands to fill the stands that aren't people? I personally would just like a lot of Jordan posters, di- different eras, different games, maybe with some stats. And the Sox game. Yeah, we're, I mean, it really at any baseball stadium all across the league. You know, Mike is universal. I, uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that the the home team should really troll the away team. So let's just say, for example, that you're playing the Red Sox come to Wrigley Field. I know that's not going to happen, but the Red Sox come to Wrigley Field, and you just have forty thousand cutouts of a baseball going of the baseball going between Buckner's legs. That's not and bad. So, and but then, I, so every every Boston fan, they're just the Cubs are just trolling them, and then they can do the same thing. Cubs go somewhere, and they can put, you know, the image of Moise Salu reaching up into the left field stands, or they can put a Billy Goat, you know, whatever they want to do. Pictures of so Bart, could, we, picture of Bartman, right, picture of Alex right. Gonzalez, pictures of right. Leon Durham and his Gatorade glove, and whoever right. else we can go get the black cat out from '69. Not right. bad. I, I hate that you invoked Billy Buckner, one of my all-time favorites. R.I.P. Billy Buck, but yeah. um, that was a moment in Red Sox history. Can I? Can, you know, can never live it down. And every team's got something, not to that extent, but I think we could. You know, teams could get creative and then and have some fun trolling the other team, and then really piss off the fans. And then everyone's having fun because then they're into it. Then they're like pissed off. They're like, ah, I can't believe those those jerks over there did that. And then and then we have a whole. Then we kind of bring the competitiveness back to the forefront, and then we're having fun again. Then we're having fun again, Ethan. It was fun to be with you, brother. Can I ask you? Can I ask you one question? Can I ask you one more question? Sure. Non baseball related. Okay. Go for it. So I saw this on Instagram. So you have one opportunity, one attempt to do uh, one of the following things, okay? This is for you, for Mark Harmon, okay? Either you can shoot a layup and make $50,000. You can shoot a free throw, make $100,000. You can shoot a jump shot from the top of the key, $500,000. A wing three-pointer, $750,000. And a corner three for a million. You only get one attempt. So either you can say, okay, I'm just going to take the easy $50,000, or you could do something else. What would you do? A corner three for a million? 
Yeah, and let's assume I'm going to assume that we're talking NBA, NBA three here. You're telling me that I can shoot a corner NBA three for a million dollars? I'm shooting that shot. Now, if, if you, you miss it, you get nothing. But if you shoot a free throw, you could still walk away with a hundred thousand. I'm just right. I would say that my percentage likelihood of hitting the free throw is fifty fifty. I'd say the layup is eight out of ten, and with that much pressure, you know. Um, you think fifty fifty on the free throw? You're a fifty percent free throw shooter. It, with um, with with however much money you put on the line, yes, I don't. I it could go either way. So, okay. and I think from a, a corner three, I'm probably, I don't know. Give me, I I think I'm a, I'm probably at twenty percent. I think roughly. I would I can I you know I'd be practicing it so I think I I, I would feel comfortable it's it's gonna hit it's gonna hit the rim it, it, it's just a matter of you know am I gonna shoot it am I not gonna leave it short or shoot it long so I I'd shoot the corner three let's go okay. for a million bucks I mean fifty thousand would be sweet but it wouldn't completely change my life if I bang down a million now we're talking yeah. okay. I mean, obviously, that's where I would go to because I'm a home run hitter. And, you know, you we've had conversations before where you punch and where I would go for it. So I just thought, you never know. But I'm with you there. I would go for the corner three because the corner three is a million dollars. That changes your life. The $50,000 is awesome. It doesn't necessarily change your life. Exactly. So that was my thought process, too. I just um, So maybe get practicing and we can see if we can find someone, some rich person to uh, take us up on this. Well, let's flip it around. I'll, I'll do it differently. 10000 for the layup. Uh, a hundred thousand for the free throw, two fifty for a three, and half court is a mill. What are you doing? I would go. I'd probably go two fifty for the three. Any, I can shoot the three from anywhere. Doesn't really matter, but I would you can shoot it from wherever you want, baby. Yeah. I would go for the three. I have. I've done. I've done half court shots. Uh, enough where I've sat in the gym and just taken a bunch of them. And I truly do think, and we can go out there and I can prove it to you that I think I can hit 20% of those. Um, but I think that I can wide open three. I think I can hit much closer to the 40 to 50%. So I, I just, those odds are way better. All right. Well, when, when the pandemic is over, let's get the video crew out there. Cause I don't think you're hitting 40% of three pointers. If we're talking NBA range, even if we're talking college range, but maybe you are. I don't want to sell you short, Ethan Blumenthal. So can I tell you my all-time greatest, and, and I hope that there's people there and they can go and try to look this up, okay, but my greatest feat in all of uh, my entire athletic career is I went to Jones College Prep High School, and when I was a senior, we, we in the Illinois State High School basketball tournament, they also have a three-point shooting contest, okay? And to go downstate, to go to Peoria, Illinois, to shoot in the three-point contest to, you know, win the state three-point shooting contest, yeah. I had to face someone who is currently in the NBA and played in Chicago. Do you know who that person is? Michael Finley? No, Michael. No, I was, so it, this was in, this would have been in 2010. 2010, he was in high school and you were in high school? Yes. Okay, let me think about this. 2010, he was 18. That means he'd be 28 now. Michael Finley was a terrible guess. Um, that would have been an awful guess, yes. Yeah. Uh, 2010. So, let's 
It'd be Derrick Rose. He was already about to win an MVP. Uh, so it's going to be younger. He's really good. He's he's might be he's probably one of the top five players in the NBA right now. Top that five player out of Chicago. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis went to Perspectives Charter High School. And they were terrible, by the way. But I remember we were sitting there watching before our game, and we would have played Anthony Davis' team. We would play Perspectives, except that they were really terrible. We watched his game in the first half, and we were just counting. He had like 20 blocks, 20 points, and 20, uh, and 20 rebounds in the first half of you know a high school game where you only play like you know 14 minutes in one half. So it was pretty, it's pretty fun to watch. But I, then I did beat him in the three-point shooting contest to go downstate. Um, in Peoria. So based, there's my there's my story. Based on that story, I think Anthony Davis is going to sign with the Bulls when he becomes a free agent. I'm very excited. I, I agree. And then when he's when he's sitting there on the court, he can he'll point me out and bring me on the court, right. and he'll say, "This guy beat me." And then hopefully he'll give me some money or at least give me a high five or whatever. And talk about so, how, he, how he how he always listens to the Windy City podcast, especially when Ethan Blumenthal is dominating. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yep, there it is. All right, brother. Good to be with you. Happy Fourth of July week. You too, man. Take it easy, and uh, always a pleasure. I'm gonna leave it right like that. Good work, brother. Half hour presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.